Well, greetings to those of you over in uh, platform, uh, as well those of you who are watching online. As you can see, we are truly live, <laughs> including all the mistakes. <laughs> uh, great, great to see all of you uh, who are here. How many of you agree it's a glorious spring day? Isn't it so beautiful? And those of you who are watching online and you're over in, in uh, Asia, sorry. <laughs> it's so good to, just to be, uh, to be living in, in Perth, uh, such a beautiful city. And God has been so good to us and such a, a safe uh, city at this time. And we, are, we don't take this for granted. We're just thankful to the Lord uh, for all that He has done uh, for us, isn't it? Well, this morning, I'm glad to be able to continue our series. How many of you have been enjoying the Ecclesiastes series? Yeah? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting book, uh, one that we could, we could all learn from. It's so practical, but at the same time, uh, so many things that we could really allow God to speak to us. And today in particular, I want to bring to you something which I think is one of the most insightful portion of the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bibles, would you go with me now? We go to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to read for you the first seven verses. And this is the portion that we have, um, that um, we, we left off last week. So go with me now to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I read for you from verse 1 all the way to verse 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. And do not be quick with your mouth and do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. But when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasures in fools, so fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and then not fulfill it. And do not let your word lead you into, do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. Father, I pray this morning that you would allow your servant to speak that which is upon your heart. And I pray that Lord Jesus, you will hide your servant behind the cross so that Jesus alone is being lifted up as your word is being proclaimed. Lord, may you increase and all of us in this auditorium, all of us were watching over in city campus or online, we will all decrease because you alone deserve to take the preeminence. And so, Lord, may you be exalted as we proclaim your word. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Solomon, the wise man we all know, is on a search for the meaning of life and he was seeking to answer a very poignant question is life worth living? And up to this point, by the time we came to, by the time we come to chapter five, he has already observed different, different facets of life, including wealth. He looked at pleasures, he looked at knowledge, wisdom, justice, he looked at time and seasons. He's trying to understand if all these things make sense. 
and remember that he was viewing this whole thing from the perspective of as uh, under the sun for as long as I live. This was a limitation that he placed and that gives rise to some of the, some of the conclusions that he came to. But now here in chapter 5, the wise man is about to look at another aspect of life, which is religion, and to see if it makes sense. So you can say that Solomon is about to go to the temple, the house of God that he built, he himself built. Remember Solomon built the temple and he wanted to take a look at what religious people are doing. And what did he see? Sadly, what he saw caused him to want to cry out, stop, stop, this is not right. And this portion of, of the book of Ecclesiastes is one of Solomon's most insightful observations. It was like an oasis in a desert, a gem, you know, amongst the pebbles. It's like a, a, a rose amongst the thorn, something beautiful that he, he saw. And so I want to encourage you to lean in and to really glean from what the wise man uh, is saying. Now, interestingly, most of the time when we talk about Worship, right? When we discuss about worship, which is what Solomon is going to talk about. When we discuss worship, it tends to centre around forms and structures and methods and stuff like that. You know, when we talk about worship, we'll be discussing things like, oh, should we lift our hands or should we not lift our hands? If we're going to lift our hands, is it one hand or both hands? You know, is it, if, it is, if it's lifting our hands, is it half mass or full mass? You know, so we're, we're discussing such things. We're discussing things like, you know, should we clap in a service? And if we're clapping, is it on beat or off beat? You understand what on beat and off beat means? When you go, doom, doom, cha, doom, doom, cha. So do you, doom, doom, cha, doom, doom, cha, doom, doom, cha. That's off beat. On beat means dum dum cha and dum dum cha. And then, can you imagine if some of us on beat, some off beat, then you'll be all the way. <laughs> so, so we discuss things like that. And if we're going to worship, should we sing hymns or should we sing choruses? Should we, should we be fast or slow, modern or traditional? What about creative arts? Does it have a part in worship? Should we wear banners and stuff like that? But when you come to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon actually tells us that what matters most to God in worship is the posture of our heart. Can I say it again? What God is looking at is not just all the things we do or don't do. He's looking at the posture of our hearts. So what did Solomon see? He saw religious people. If you read verse 1 to 7 of chapter 5, he saw religious people rushing to the temple to do two things. Number one, offer vain sacrifices. And two, make empty promises. That's what he found in the house of God. People were offering vain sacrifices and empty promises. And this morning, we need to take a look at this uh, just to be sure that this is not prevalent within our midst. So here are two things that Solomon said we should avoid when it comes to worship. Number one, vain sacrifices. Solomon saw people rushing to the temple, going to the motion of sacrifice. And that's what they were doing in the temple. They're offering sacrifices. But those sacrifices were offered without sincerity. They were rituals without righteousness. He found that they were piety without passion. They were just going through the motion. And then he began to warn us. He said, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. What is he saying? What he's saying is this, prepare your hearts before you come to worship. 
Remember that when you, this morning, when you step into this sacred place, you are not here to patronize God, but you, we are not here to do God a favor, but we are coming to meet the King of Kings. How many of you will say amen to that? That's what we're here to do. We didn't come just to go through the motion. We didn't come just to fulfill duty, but we actually come to meet the King of Kings. So Solomon is challenging us, come with preparation, guard your steps. Then he said, come with expectation, draw near and listen. It is better to draw near to listen than to offer the sacrifice of fools. That's what Solomon puts it. That better to draw near to listen than to offer a sacrifice of fools. With preparation, with expectation, we can then end up offering to God meaningful worship and not just, oh, not what the wise men call a sacrifice of fools. So what, what is a sacrifice of fools? What exactly does that mean? I think one good example of a sacrifice of fools would be Matthew chapter 17. If you look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 4, we have a classic example of someone offering to God a sacrifice of fools. Um, remember, they were on the Mount of Transfiguration and then they saw the glory of God come down and they were so impacted by the whole thing. Peter was there. And then Peter said to Jesus at that point, he says, Lord, it is so good for us to be here. If you wish, I can put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because they're up in Mount Transfiguration, Jesus had an encounter with Moses and Elijah, and they saw the glory of God. He was so impacted. He said, why don't I build a tent, and then we can stay here forever. And there on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, the loudmouthed disciple, offered a sacrifice of fools. He offered to build three tents for Jesus, Moses and Elijah, trying to do God a favour. But how many of you know, God did not ask for it. God didn't ask for it, you see, nor did He want it. So what was God's response to what Peter offered? See, Jesus said in verse 5, while He was still speaking, see, God interrupted Peter. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them and a voice from the crowd says, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. So picture this, huh? There was this glorious thing that happened. Peter, out of the goodness of his heart, I believe, said, can I do this for you? Build three tents and put one, one for each one of you. And the Lord actually said to him, God actually interrupted him and told him, this is my son, referring to Jesus, whom I well please. With him, I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Which is exactly what Ecclesiastes is saying. In other words, draw near and listen. Draw near and listen. And the Old Testament tells us this, right? Obedience is better than sacrifice. The main point of coming to church it's not to offer our things to God, but it is to draw near through worship, to listen to what God has to say, and then we obey Him. Draw near to listen, hear what God has to tell you, and then you do what He says. Then you're offering sacrifice acceptable to God and not just a sacrifice of fools. It's not what I want to give to God. It's what God wants me to surrender to Him. Are you with me? See, and that's what it is. Offerings in the hands without obedience in the heart becomes a sacrifice of fools. 
See, and I think he knows, he, he, Peter thought he was doing good, but actually he was not because that was not what God wanted. People come to church for all kinds of reason. Some attend church out of routine. Uh, there, there will be some that want to just hear a good sermon. Others will come just to catch up with friends. Some come to find a life partner, solicit business, whatever it may be. But in the end, we can all end up going through the motion and never touching the heart of God. And the wise man is saying to us, don't just attend church. And I'll say to every one of us, don't just attend church, but let's come and meet God in worship. Draw near and listen. And then we obey. And the wise man is saying, don't just do attend church. Come, draw near and listen. That's the true essence, you see, and the rest are just form. We can jump up and down and never touch the presence of God. We can lift our hands and not lift our hearts. And God is looking at the posture of the heart. And can I encourage all of us, never, never think that without our sacrifices, the kingdom cannot go on. Don't think for a moment that without our contribution, the, 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 the Lord will, will go bankrupt. But what He wants, first draw near and listen and then we obey and do what He wants us to do. And the point the wise man is making here is this, listen before you do and not the other way around. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. You know, a man came late to church and then by the time he walked into the church, the janitor was cleaning the church already. So he came up to the janitor and he asked, you know, is the service over? And the janitor replied, no, the worship is over, but the service has just begun. And that's true. We draw near to, to worship. We draw near to worship and then we go out to serve because God has spoken. Draw near, listen, and then we act in obedience. And when we come to the house of God, it's not what we put into the offering bag, but what the Holy Spirit inscribed onto our hearts that really matters. It's not what ministry we perform, but it's how much we listen that determines the fruitfulness of that service. And I want you to know that God desires to speak to us. God desires to speak to us. So draw near and listen this morning. John White, uh, the old author, wrote a book called The Fight. And in his book, he offered this insight that I want to read for you. He says, it is God who wishes to establish communication. That's why we must draw near and listen. He is more anxious to speak to us than we are to hear him. He is incredibly persistent in trying to get through to us. Our real problem is that we tend to avoid hearing him. Whenever the sounds of the world died out in the soul, and then we hear the whisperings of God. When the sound of this world dies, then we hear the whisperings of God. He's always whispering to us, only we don't always listen because of the noise, the hurry, the distractions which life causes as it rushes on. If we want to hear, then we must first learn to have a quiet spirit. So we walk into our every service, we walk into our connect group with a quiet spirit, learning to let our tongues rest and letting our ears work. So don't offer vain sacrifices, but draw near to listen. Here's the second thing that Solomon saw, which is empty talk, empty promises. Can I 
um, there's a feedback on this, on this uh, mic. Can you lower it, please? Solomon saw many rushing to the temple to make empty promises to God and then failing to keep them. Now, please listen to me carefully. I have a feeling that if every Christian, if all of us here were to do what we said we would do before God, the church would be 10 times stronger than what it is. What do you think? Hello? You're so quiet today. It's true, isn't it? You know, if we, if we really do what we say we would do before God, we'll be 10 times stronger. Do you recall when people go through water baptism and then before we go through water baptism, we state our intention, right? I'm going to live for God from, that, from this day on. No turning back, no turning back. But do we? You know, people get married. We vow, right? We take a vow before God. Till death do we part. And then why do divorce rates keep going up? Week after week, people come to the altar and then we rededicate ourselves. What happened after a while? I've seen situations where Christians, with, is, is a person is sick. And then we pray, we ask God to heal us and we promise, you know, we promise. And, and they tell me that if, if God heal me, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. But when they get healed, that's the last I see of them. You know, we don't always fulfill what we say. Sometimes those promises we make can just be empty and hollow, just like politics, you know. And yes, God does understand when we are sincere. Now I understand that I've also been through it where I sincerely wanted to do certain things, but then situations change, circumstances shifts, and then I find that I can't. Then what do we do? Then we must have the courage and the integrity to unmake the promise. We cannot make a promise and then don't fulfill it. We cannot make a vow and then don't fulfill it. If I make a vow, if I make a promise and I found I cannot do it, I need to have the courage and the integrity to unmake that promise. Whether it's before God or before man, I must have the courage to do that. How many of you agree? If not, then there's something is wrong. We don't take this seriously enough. We've got to learn to say what we mean and then we mean what we say. Then and only then will God take us seriously. See, and I think it's, it's true. You, you say what you mean, you mean what you say, and God will take us at our word. And then all kinds of things can happen. You know, about 24 years ago, I remember, I, uh, I think it's about 24 years ago, I need to check with my wife, she will verify. But about 20, uh, I, I think it's about 24 years ago, I came to Perth uh, to do some ministry for Full Gospel Assembly. At that time, I was not yet uh, a part of, uh, I, I was still in Singapore. I think it was the second or third time that I actually came to Perth to, to minister for that church. But before I left Singapore to come for that particular trip, right, I, I sensed in my heart, you know, that God was going to call me to Perth. I already had that sensing. And, and then I remember before I, I, I came, I actually said to the Lord, you know, Lord, if the leadership of that church were to invite me to join their team, I would take it as a sign from you that I should come to Perth. That was what I said to the Lord. And true enough, at the end of that ministry trip, the eldership of the church sat me down. And then they asked if I was willing to come and join them. 
my cheeky response at that time, I just said to them very cheekily, I said, oh, okay, if you build me a training school, I will come. You build me a building, set out a training school, I will come. And I, I didn't realise how serious they were. They actually then raised the funds and they built a building. And they, they finished the building and then they call me up and then they tell me, the building is ready, now you come. And, and at that point, you know, because I said, I gave my word to them, right? So I, I, I realised that, well, that must be a sign from God. And I actually said, yes. And three years later, I landed in Perth. Never gone back. Uh, not that I didn't go back, but never gone back. On the, uh, I've, I've been here ever since. And here's my point. You say what you mean and you mean what you say. And if you take God seriously, God will take you seriously. I remember reading, uh, uh, hearing a, a message uh, preached by a pastor from England. He talked about how in his church, he had a church member who works as an accountant. And uh, he would bring his family, which is his wife and his four kids. And every week they show up in church. After they came to Christ, they show up in church. All four of them sit in a row and then they will sing. And every time the worship song comes on, you know, all his family will be singing at the top of their lungs. But this guy will be watching, reading the lyrics, but he never sang. And after a while, the pastor noticed he never sang. So the pastor came up to him one day and said, Hey John, I noticed you never sing. And then this is what John said. John said, you know, I, I, I never sing because I cannot mean the words that I'm singing. And the pastor said, I wish I can have more men like you who take God that seriously. But a few weeks after that, John began to sing. And the hymn that he sang goes like this. I think it was a hymn that we, we all are familiar with. It, I think the hymn goes something like this. Um, Take my life and let it be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a might would I withhold, not a might would I withhold. And he literally meant every word he said. Every word he sang, he meant it with all his heart. Take my silver and my gold, not a might would I withhold. And God took him at his word. Not too long after that, God took him away from his comfortable job as an accountant. He sold everything he had, bought a bigger mansion, and then he looked after old folks, you know, for many, many years of his life. It became for him a ministry to the elderly. He meant what he said. He said what he meant, and God took him seriously because he took God seriously. I tell you this, there's a danger to praying the danger is that God may answer your prayer. So the next time we pray, next time we utter words before God, we say what we mean and we mean what we say. We take heed from the wise man. It is better not to vow than to vow and then don't fulfill it. Don't be too quick with our mouth. Proverbs 10 verse 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. We, we think before we speak and we say what we mean, we mean what we say. Matthew chapter 12 verse 36, right? Men shall render account for every careless words that are spoken. If we say it, let's mean it. Say what we mean, mean what we say. You know, today we live in a Western culture here and 
people are a lot more upfront with one another. And I, I'm beginning, I, I'm learning over time to really appreciate this. I, I learned the hard way, you know, actually that there's a cultural difference between me like an Asian fella and the Western culture. There is a difference. Uh, I think the Western people are a whole lot more upfront. They mean what they say, they say what we mean. The Asian people are a little bit more, you know, we don't always say what we mean and mean what we say. First time I ever came to Australia, you know, and that was something when I was 17 years old, I came to Australia for the first time. I came for a scout jamboree. And uh, as part of the jamboree, we were actually hosted by many different families, local Aussie families took us in and then hosted us for the week that we were here. And I got this, uh, they, we, they, we never choose, they just kind of assigned to us. I got taken in by a couple that I live in the north, you know, there's an Aussie family, they took me in, I was all alone. And I, first time I slept in an Aussie home, and then the next morning I got up, you know, when I woke up, I can smell, you know, fresh bread that is baked. And we, we never have fresh bread in, in Singapore. Nobody, we don't make our bread, we buy them from the shop, right? So, so I, I smell, you know, for the first time, fresh bread. And then I quickly got myself ready. I came out and I sat down at the breakfast table. And then my host, right, the, she, she took out um, a freshly baked apple pie, you know, from the oven. It was amazing. The smell was incredible. And then she brought it to the table. My mouth was already watering. You know? I really wanted, I was so hungry, I was so cold. I really wanted to eat, right? So she asked me, would you like a piece? My mouth was already watering. My heart already went to the pie, you understand? But out of my mouth came the typical Asian response, which is, uh, no, thank you. And then I was waiting for her, like a typical Asian mom, they would say, eat la, eat la. I was waiting for her to just say, ask me again. Then I, I'm supposed to say no three times and after that, I'll say yes. And then when she asked me, uh, would you like to have a pie? I said, no, thank you. And then she said, oh, what a shame. And then she kept it. I was really upset. I learned, you know, you better say what you mean and then you mean what you say. Seriously, we need to do that. Now, you would have thought that I would have learned, right, from that and, and then really become wiser. No, I didn't learn because later on, I grew up and then I went to work, right? So the first time I went to work, I had a very generous boss, you know, really wonderful Christian man, very generous boss. So one day he called me into, into his office you know, and he, he said, and he, from his drawer, he took out this beautiful Mont Blanc fountain pen. Somebody gave it to him, you know, the Mont Blanc, the one with this white star? Mont Blanc fountain pen, very expensive at that time. So he took it out and he says, Benny, I want to give this to you. Wow, my... Mouth was already watering. My heart already went to the pen. <laughs> but typical Asian man, pride, you know, that is always there. You know, he said, I'd like to give it to you. My first words that came out is, was this, why don't you give it to your son? And then he looked at it and said, okay. <laughs> he kept it. After that, right, I really learned. You say what you mean and you mean what you say. Or else, you may lose a lot of things in life. You know, seriously. Uh, but here's the thing, I have, I don't always say what I mean, I mean what I say, and as a result, I suffer some consequences. But sometimes our careless words can result in greater consequences than what I just described, because mine was nothing. But there are times when people make vows that has huge consequences on their life. 
take for example in Judges 11, there was one incident like that. When I read this, it really hit my heart. In Judges 11, verse 30 to 31, there was a man called Jephthah. He was a mighty warrior. And the nation of Israel was under the attack of the Ammonites and they really needed to, to fight this war and win. So they went to this great general, uh, this warrior, and they said, can you lead us and fight this battle? And Jephthah actually uh, said to them, this is what he said, Jephthah wanted to win this war so much, he made a vow to God. And it goes like this, Jephthah in verse, Judges 11:30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, then whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. How many of you know God already called him to go and fight this battle. He don't have to make a vow like that. That was a careless, reckless, unnecessary vow. And he made that vow. And then guess what happened in verse 34? The scripture tells us God really gave him the victory. He won. Then when Jephthah returned to his house in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? And she was an only child. And he, Jephthah, the warrior, was trapped by his own callous words. And in the end, he had no choice. To, he fulfilled that vow. I thought about that, you know. How unnecessary. Sometimes we just have to say what we mean, mean what we say. That's all. And don't make vows. Not necessary. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. But if you're going to make a vow before God, then fulfill it. We, I see another example of this where callous words get people trapped. You know, it's found in Mark chapter 6, verse 21 to 27. There's another incident in Mark chapter 6, 21 to 27. Herodias, the wife of King Herod, he had always wanted to get rid of John the Baptist. He wanted to kill this prophet because John the Baptist speak against him, uh, speak, speak against her. And she wanted to get rid of John the Baptist, didn't know how to do it. She finally found her opportunity by playing on the lustfulness of her husband. She knew that her husband has that, you know, flirtatious thing in him. So what did, what did Herodias do? She got her daughter to dance seductively before the king during a banquet. And the king was so pleased with, with, with what happened that he said to the daughter, you can ask for anything that you, you, you want. I'm so pleased with you. I'll give it to you. And then he made a vow. On an oath, he said, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And you know what she asked for? All she asked for was the hate of John the Baptist. And then you read what, what it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 26. The king was greatly distressed. You see, because the king had nothing against John the Baptist, but he was greatly distressed. But because of his oath and his dinner guests, he did something that was against his own conscience. And he ended up killing John the Baptist. How sad is that? Why? Trapped by his own callous words. These are examples of how we can make callous vows that ultimately trapped us. And you know, many people, we also tend to make callous vows, sometimes in a moment of anger, sometimes in a moment of, of, of need, a, a moment when we are down, we make vows that, that really trapped us. We say things like, you know, I will never trust anybody again. And it becomes something that trapped us. Do you understand what I'm saying? I will never forgive that person. And it traps us. And now we are trapped in unforgiveness. We are trapped in, in, in the distrust. We are trapped in so many things because of the callous words that we speak. 
We curse people. We say things like that and we are trapped by these things. And if God has a tape recorder and He plays it back, everything that we have said, I think it will drive us out of town in shame. We say many things in anger, in frustration, all kinds of things. Don't be trapped by our careless words. So after making these two observations, the wise man said, people rush to the temple to do this instead of drawing near to listen. They just offer sacrifices of fools, giving to God things He never asked for. People make empty promises that they never fulfill. And then he concluded by saying this, much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Or therefore, fear God. And brothers and sisters, this is the solution. To avoid superficiality and shallowness in our spiritual life, we need to fear God. I think we need to recapture the majesty and the awesomeness of this God that we serve. If there's one thing we desperately need to restore to the modern church, it will be this, the fear of the Lord. Oh God, give us a healthy fear for you. you know, what is the fear of the Lord? When, when Solomon says here, fear God, what is it? It's not just an emotional state, but rather it, re is, it really contains a lot more than just an emotional state. It, I think there are four main essentials that I quickly bring up for you. What is the fear of the Lord? Firstly, I think it's a revelation. The fear of the Lord is a revelation. It's, it's, it's God revealing to us who He is and as a result, we catch a glimpse of who God is. That's, that's the starting of the fear of God. Psalms 19 verse 9, the fear of the Lord is pure. You know, the, the fear of the Lord is something to do with the revelation of who God is from His Word. And because we begin to recognize God for who He is, that's the starting point. I had a revelation of who God is. The fear of God, therefore, is an objective truth. It's not a subjective feeling. It's not about a feeling. It is a truth that we know and therefore, it results in the second thing, which is reverence. I had a revelation of who God is and therefore I revere Him. See, because we have that revelation, we begin to stand in awe of who He is. And this fear is not a dread, you know. It's, it's not a kind of fear associated with something that we are afraid of. We fear God, but we're not afraid of Him. Why? Because God will not harm us. See, it's not, it's not the same as me fearing a, a, a robber. Because why a robber can harm me? But I revere God. Why? Because He is who He is. He's greater than who I am. He's far above me. And therefore, I have a reverence for Him. It's not frightened of God. It is having a reverence for Him. It's a sense of awesome respect for someone or something that we recognize is greater than us. Firstly, it's a revelation from the Scripture that tells us who God is. And then as a result, because we know who God is, now we begin to honour Him, respect Him, revere Him. And then that will lead to the third, third thing. If you really have the fear of God, it leads to repentance. The fear of God leads to repentance. It leads us, uh, it, it leads us to a point that actions that we know is violating who my God is, I want to turn away from it. That's why the fear of the Lord leads to holiness. 
the fear of the Lord causes us to turn away from those things that is not right, those things that are sinful. And then it causes us to recognize we, are, we need to turn to God. It's repentance. It starts with a revelation, results in a reverence. And out of that reverence, we repent from anything that we know would displease this God. And then as a res- once you repent, you become more receptive to God. So what, what happened in repentance? We turn away from that which is wrong and then we turn towards God. And then you be, we begin to be... We, we, it, the, the fear of the Lord does not drive us away from God, it drives us towards God. You actually grow in intimacy with God out of that fear. Are you with me? So we fear the Lord by renouncing that which is wrong and embracing Him. And whether you are young or old, can I say this to you? There is no better time to start fearing God than now. Today is the best time to fear Him. You see, if we are living in sin, if there are things in your life that you know is not right, I know I don't bring you a nice sounding message that soothes you today, but I need to tell you the truth. If there are things in your life that is not right before God, this today is a day when we will say, I renounce this because I want to live in the fear of the Lord. I want to really walk in His, in His fear. I belong to the Lord. I stand on the foundation of His Word. I live by His grace and I live for His glory, not for these things. And then we quit offering a sacrifice of fools. We start drawing near to listen and obey the King. We stop making empty promises that we do not intend to keep. And we say, God, I live in the fear of You. We live in the fear of the Lord Almighty. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13 and 14 that we will come to in a few weeks' time. Now all has been heard and here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep His commandment because this is the whole duty of man. Fear God, keep His commandment. This is the verdict. Fear God, keep His commandment. He knows what is going on. And in the end, right, every careless word and deed will be accounted for. Every vow we make, every word we utter, every action we do, God sees it. And this morning, we need to see that you don't take God's grace and mercy for granted. But the grace of God will lead us to repentance. And ultimately, we know we are accountable to God. We are. You know, I, let me end with this. Some years ago, I there was a well-known uh, minister who fell into sin. And so he left his wife for another woman. And when all this happened, those of us who know him, we were so heartbroken. And many of us tried to talk to him, etc. And until one of the senior ministers in the city wrote an email to this pastor friend, uh, wrote, wrote an email to this brother that, that fell and then she, he replied and the email was to encourage him to come back, leave the woman, come back to his wife and she, he replied and then basically to say that uh, in his reply he said that I, I've lost everything that is important to me, you know, my ministry, my family, etc. But I cannot leave this woman. I can't. He said he can't. And 
But interestingly, at the end of his email, he ended with this statement. And the statement goes like this. He said, you may find it hard to believe, but while I was doing all this, he said, I still love the Lord. Here's how he ended. You may find it hard to believe, but while I'm doing all this, I still love the Lord. And I think this is where the deception is. You know, there's this deception that stumbles us when we live under the illusion, we live under that dark illusion that we can live a double life and still believe that we love God. I think this is a lie. It's a deception that the devil put into so many people that you can do things, you can willing, willfully sin and keep on sinning and still believe with all of our heart, I still love God. I have people, honestly, that comes to me. I know they are not, they're living in sin. But they will come at the end of a service and they will say, you know, I come to church. Last week I went to this church. A message was so powerful. It spoke to me. I came out to the altar call. They laid hands on me and I fell on the floor and there for half an hour, I was just loving God. That's a deception. But I tell you this. When you are on the floor, it is not you loving God but it is God loving you. When we are walking in willful sin and then God touched us, it is not you loving God, it is God loving you. Because the proof of God loving us despite of who we are, that's His grace. But the proof of you loving God is your obedience. Fear God and keep His commandments. Are you with me? Don't, have, don't, don't allow this dark illusion to come into our heart. To believe that we could actually go on doing whatever we want to do and we still love God. No. You do whatever you want to do and God still loves you. That's true. Because He is a gracious God. But if you truly love God, then keep His commandments. If you truly love God, then walk right before Him. Heed the words of the wise men. When he says, when you come to worship, have the right approach. Guard your steps. Come with preparation. You know, draw near to listen. Draw near to listen. Don't offer a sacrifice of fools and then you keep what you promise in the fear of the Lord. And we live in the fear of God. That's true worship. And we come Sunday after Sunday, right? You go to your connect group Friday after Friday. We go there, we draw near and listen. And we carry with us the fear of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. May God speak to us. God teach us to fear you more than anything. Amen. Stand with me, please, this morning. Thank you, Lord. I want to invite you for a few moments to put aside your notes in your Bible. Um, and would you just stand in awe of this God that we come to worship today? And then when you stripped everything away, when it comes down 
to pure worship. It is our heart that we bring before the Lord. So let's all together, wherever we are, allow God to come and speak to us. Let's worship Him together before I invite you to respond to God's word this morning. Thank you, Lord.